According to the U.S. Department of Education and educationdata.org, 20% of all college students whose courses were moved because of the coronavirus pandemic in 2020 to online learning admitted that it was a major challenge to find a quiet place for online instruction and to concentrate. Furthermore, 33% of post-secondary school administrators indicate that they'll continue to offer both remote and online course options even after their campuses are fully reopened. Therefore, what challenges does that present to teachers and students at large in order to get a fully wholesome educational experience? To get some answers to this intriguing question, I turned to three Wayne State University students who are enrolled in the Facilitate Digital Learning course. Janetta M. Greer, Radiation Therapy Program Director. Lori Lucas, a lecturer in Bilingual and Bicultural Education. And Keith McShann, a PhD candidate in sports and exercise psychology. Join me this week to have this very important and thought-provoking discussion. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. three of you to the program and I'm excited uh, to be with you this afternoon to talk about uh, your work and how you've uh, sort of reward courses during the course of the pandemic. Great to see all of you and uh, thanks for uh, joining me this afternoon. It's most appreciated. Thank you for having us. Janetta, I'm going to begin with you and sort of ask you about COVID-19. You know, all courses from elementary to university courses, as I'm sure you know, have been pivoted to online. So I'm curious to begin our discussion on how you think that transition is going from the educational perspective. Well, for me, um... Starting out, uh, going from face-to-face uh, -to, -face to online was new for me. Um, I've been uh, a director for the radiation therapy program at Wayne State now going on three years. So starting off, um, going from clinic to didactic, number one, that was a, a, a transition that I had to make very quickly. And then going from face-to-face um, -to, -face to online overnight, that was just to me over overwhelming. It took you know it took um, a lot of uh, you know seeking help and asking how do you uh, even work Zoom? How do you work uh, Microsoft Teams? All of this was 
pretty pretty new to me. You know, I've used it, but not to the extent where I had to use it as an instructor. And then I was finding it hard to um, get students motivated to um, participate with the Zoom with the Zoom uh, link being on Zoom. Uh, a lot of them didn't want to um, show their faces. They want to just have, uh, you know, the, the app running, but I have no contact. So I can't tell if they're understanding something. Uh, are they asleep? Are they listening? So for me, um, I found it very challenging and I was not accustomed to actually lecturing online and then also trying to format my lectures to online um, as opposed to, you know, um, dealing with the students face-to-face. -face. So for me, I, I thought, I found it to be very challenging and um, I was a little stressed about, um, you know, having to go uh, from face-to-face -to, -face to online just basically overnight. And the next question I have for uh, you is for all three of you in terms of the student experience. I'm wondering if you can uh, comment on how you've seen uh, student engagement change over the course of the past year because of the pandemic? Well, I can also interject here because um, the students, for me, my students, um, they uh, hadn't really had any online classes. So um, it was hard for them. A lot of them were um, asking quite often, when will we be going back to the classroom? Um, they seem to not be able to focus as much. Um, some of the other um, instructors that I have were saying that the students weren't um, progressing as, as well as they had hoped. Um, communication, again, was a problem. Um, so uh, the students uh, were feeling the same pressures, I believe, that I was feeling going from face-to-face um, -to, -face to online. Yeah, Kevin, I'll chime in because I had experience doing both instructing um, in person than having that being moved to online and also being a student of having in person and then move to online. Uh, I'll first start with some of the benefits. I think as a student, the commute time got like cut down. So that was a really great thing where you just could go to school in your pajamas if you wanted to. Um, and that there wasn't as much, I felt like I had a little bit more time commute part of it was taken out. Uh, so that was that was a positive. I think as a student also, you miss that face-to-face -face interaction. I had a course that we, we had a tight-knit group and we all met um, in person. And once that went online, you kind of miss that um, group dynamic part of um, not togetherness, but that relational part um, that you have with co like with other students and your professor, it's hard to develop that relationship mm -hmm. through a computer screen. And mm -hmm. I think near the end, people were getting Zoom fatigue as students mm -hmm. of like everything's online and like mm -hmm. just want to go out and see people and like just mm -hmm. talk and not have to be looking at a screen all the time. And for my experience, I had um, both experience. I had experience of where we're teaching in person, then it got moved online, and then I got to teach that same course online again, and I had some of the same issues that Janetta had, where I thought everyone would come on camera, and it's going to be great, we're going to be interactive, and do all these great things, uh, but then I got there, and everyone didn't want to put their can and everything I tried, like, come on, let's see face, they just 
they didn't want to do it. And I had people say, I'm at work right now. I'm just listening in. Because I tried to do it synchronously or synchronous for those that don't know, synchronously at the same time, like I'd instruct and they'd have to log in at the same time. And that was a challenge in the pandemic because people's lives were changing. They had kids at home or they had other responsibilities and they were asked to maybe go to class if they normally thought they'd be in person, but now their kids are at home during when they're doing school or they've had to pick an extra job to pay for things. Um, so they're trying to listen into lecture and do that and made it really, really hard. So I think those are some of the issues that I saw um, with moving online from the instructor point of view and from the student point of view. I think I had those same exact issues, Keith. You explained that so well um, because I did have a student whose children, they were out of, they were doing virtual school and um, my classes, I had them all, I didn't know that, I, I'm just going to be honest, I didn't know there was synchronous and asynchronous, I didn't really know that terminology, I had never used it, so all I was doing was having the students meet synchronously, now I know, that's, what I, that's the only thing that I did, I just had, we met live every day on Zoom, and some of the students felt, well, since we're online, I can work now, I can do this. And I'm thinking, you know, normally you wouldn't do that. So why why are you doing this now? Just because we're online, class is still the same. We still meet at this time. That was my philosophy. So I too had to change with the times that COVID-19 um, brought on. So I had to adjust my thinking and also, um, you know, kind of work with the students um, with their limitations, especially those that are parents. Well, I only had really one student or two that are parents that they had um, issues with um, child care. And I would tell one students, hey, bring your child, put them, let them, I don't have a problem if they come on Zoom because one student was worried. I said, no, you, you know, this is important. I don't care. That does not bother me. If you need your child to, um, you know, be there with you while you're on Zoom, that's not a problem. But if you feel more comfortable with the camera off, you know, that's that's fine too. So um, I think it was just, um, you know, trial and error learning. This is all something new for all of us. Um, none of us have experienced a, a pandemic like this. So um, this was a time for, for us all to learn. Lori, did you want to chime in here? Yeah, so um, I actually, I have the same issues that my... Um, fellow classmates have as well. Um, but mine is a little different because my students, my course has been running online asynchronously for four years straight now. And we have not, um, pre-COVID, we didn't have any issues. Students understood what they were doing. Um, they moved through the course very smoothly. And then COVID hit. And I think because my course is maybe one of three or four that are fully online, that a student would take my course and three in-person courses. So they had kind of a breakup of, yes, I have three face-to-face -face courses, so I'm in there, and then I can have this one online course and I can juggle it. And I think when everything moved online, the students truly got thrown off because they could no longer focus on um, their movement through the course anymore. And I thought that that was really, um, it was really telling of the situation that's going on and how much COVID-19 really impacted them and their learning. Um, and for me, again, it was one of those things where this course has always been taught online, but 
because they're online now all day, um, they can no longer um, figure out how things are moving. And so my course went from being online and they were engaged to um, I'm now in an online format again, but I can't focus anymore. So I'm having a lot of students now struggle with my course, whereas in the past pre-COVID, they were doing okay, but I think it has to do with the fact that I was one of only three courses that was an online course offering. And so again, it was that fit, the, the sense that they are still doing face-to-face, -face, but it's online. And so they could no longer gauge um, how to do online learning. And so the students really did struggle um, just as much as they would if they were would have been face-to-face. -face. And so I thought that that was really interesting um, that, they were doing so well and then COVID hit and now, you know, the class is not going very well for them, for most of them. And through your facilitated digital learning course, I also understand that you've had to review and renovate a university level course to make it more engaging for online learners. Can you give me some more information on the course you've picked and some of the issues you've ran into moving the course online. Okay, well, first of all, this class was designed for um, students that are, are going to become radiation therapists. And the class is called um, Clinical Radiation Oncology. And in, the, in this course, um, we discuss treatment methods, um, the various types of cancers, what uh, treatment method will be the best for, um, say, prostate, what treatment method is best for breast cancer, how much dose can the patient tolerate, um, um, what dose uh, do you uh, stop at for critical structures, such as the spinal cord, you can only give 40, uh, a dose of um, 4,500 to the spinal cord before um, you cause um, damage. So. Um, 4,500 is that critical dose. We don't want to give the spinal cord more than, more than that at one time. So, and how do you block out um, critical organs to make sure that they're not receiving um, doses that would be, uh, you know, harmful to the patient? So, with that being said, um, it would, it's kind of, you know, how do you... If it's interesting to me, how do I make it interesting to the students? Mm -hmm. So um, it was a challenge trying to um, come up with, um, create, usually in the classroom, I would have models, um, say for like the breast, I have a, um, a, a like a cushiony um, breast um, model, and I would sit it around the, the class for the students to touch, and in that that clay model, there would be like a little pebble or stone where the students could feel the abnormality of a, of a breast cancer. So now I'm trying to show, you know, other using pictures fine, but you know, I want the students to be able to feel that when they're in clinic, if they're treating a patient and setting up a patient, sometimes they may have to palpate those patients. And mm -hmm. how do you do that online? So, um, those were some of the, the challenges with this class because it's, um, I felt that it's really, um, the students get more out of it in the classroom because they're able, like I said, to touch some of the, um, the, um, the, the um, 
I can't, I can't think the molds is another word for the molds that we will use for uh, demonstrating how to um, palpate uh, uh, breast cancer and, and, and that. So um, it, it, it became a little difficult trying to do that, but you know, I had, I was, I've learned how to, to, to get put colorful images in my slides and um, that kind of thing. So to try and um, uh, make it interesting or, or, or get that visual effect um, for the for the students. So um, I don't know. That's uh, basically it's a, it's a class that um, is very uh, detailed and is a class that that that's necessary and that they need to know. Um, it's one of those critical um, courses that they're going to use when they go out to work as radiation therapists. And talk to me about the uh, generational learners that are in uh, th this course and the type of people that are in it as well. For the most part, these are students, this is an undergrad course, and most, the majority of the students are in that age range, even some as young as 19 who finished, um, uh, did the uh, courses in uh High school, they take took some college courses in high school. So I have a few students who are 19, but the uh, majority of them, they're in that, what we call that millennial generation. So um, they're very tech savvy though. And they, they um, love uh, being on their, really their phones. You see them using their phones a lot, um, their computers. Um, they don't really want to sit too, too, too long. They want you to just give them the information um, and, and pretty much let them go. Um, you know, they don't want to spend a whole lot of time. The quicker you can give them the information, um, the better it is for them. You know, it seems like they, they, they say they don't, they want to understand it, but they want you to give it to them quick, you know, and then, you know, it takes time to learn this, this is not a class that you can give the information quickly. We have to go through and we have to discuss it. So um, there are that generation that's to me, um, uh, fast food, you know, they want, want everything fast. Instant gratification for sure, absolutely. A absolutely. Keith, the next question is for you, and I'm curious to know about the R2D2 learning model and how that's been implemented over the past year. Yeah, really good question, Kevin. And just to give context, um, for this group together here, we are in a facilitate digital learning course where we learn about uh, facilitating or giving instruction to online learning and how to make that more engaging for different type of learners and different type of courses. So for this project that we're or that we're going to discuss today within your podcast, Kevin, we were tasked with looking at a course and Janetta did a really great job of explaining that uh, course that she's taught and we did a renovation of the class or that course. We reviewed it to see some of the issues that were there and to make it really, really good. And one of the things that we found when we did the review of this course that uh, Janetta talked about is that there was a lot of reading, a lot of text that individuals had to do, whether it be reading chapters or be giving handouts or even their exams were 
written and reading. And what we know through, and you mentioned the R2D2 model, and that's the model that Bonk and Vang came up with to discuss like what are the different activities that different learners need within an online reading or sorry, an online learning environment. And the R, so the R2D2 model, what it stands for is the first R is read. So individuals need reading, um, need reading activities to do. Some people love to read and that's how they connect and learn. Mm -hmm. The other part of the R is reflect. So people like to reflect, you give them something to think about and they want time to reflect and ponder what they have learned. And the first D of the R2D2 model, Kevin, is display. And they wanna, sh they wanna show like what they have learned. Um, so an example like that would be um, maybe displaying with a, so for Genetics case, partnering with a hospital or web resource for a virtual tour of a hospital could be a good use of a learning tool in this course to display what they have learned. Um, and the last D is do. So people want to get out and like do things as activities. And for this course, Kevin, that we did a renovation for, uh, I'm just going to share with you uh, what we have. And can you see that, Kevin? Do you see the, the table, table one there? Oh, yes, I see the table, Keith. Great, that's on your views to make sure they can see it. And we came up with a couple ideas uh, for each section that could improve this course so it's not so reading-based. So even with, so we'll start with read. Uh, even with it being a heavy reading course, one of the suggestions we looked at the first column there is that this is a Tuesday-Thursday course, so the Thursday lecture could be changed to a weekly podcast. Uh, this could help reduce the amount of reading in the course, potentially to change that out. And then if we look at Reflect Kevin, uh, creating a pool of multiple choice and reflection questions that could be randomly assigned to students in a testing situation, give them a chance to reflect. If we look uh, in the middle there for display, this course seems to have many handouts. And one way that we thought could when we did our critical review is replacing a week of handouts with the video stream content may be useful. And lastly, the do part in the first, uh, if we look at the far right there, Kevin, having a portion of one class or a full class will be open debate and discuss on the various cancer topics in this course would be a great learning activity. So the R2D2 model, Kevin, if your listeners or instructors are unfamiliar with it, it's just a way of looking at your course and saying, hey, what activities do are there that I can do so I can get the different different type of activities to engage the different learner types. Keith, I want to follow up on uh, online learning and group work and the importance of that and getting your students to be engaged. Yeah, that's a really good question, Kevin, and I appreciate you asking me that question. Well, you went to the literature and Zhang and Ji um, came up with this dynamics of online collaborative learning. And it's kind of this framework where we can look at online group collaboration and we can divide it into four different sections. And I just wanna share with you um, and your viewers, Kevin, a little bit of what we came up with regarding that. 
And there are four sections and they are team task, team development, peer relationship, and communication media. So team tasks can be broken down into four. So think you want a group of students to work collaborate in group work online. And we wanna give them a task. And when they go through this task, they go through four different sections. There's a discussion section, there's problem solving, there's decision-making, and then there's production. And we wanna work through, so within this uh, course renovation project that we are doing for this course, we wanna think, well, if we did implement group work, what would that look like? And how would that be important for the uh, students? So I'll just, I'll do the first part of uh, team task and I won't go through all the different ones, but discussion, adding in a discussion board aspect to the class. This way, if group work is given, there is a central place where all materials are. Um, there's public discussion boards can help other, group, um, other groups comment on class material uh, with other groups. So when we are looking at doing online group work and these are the different stages that the group will have to go through when they're given a task. We move to next to team development and we may be um, familiar with some of these, the forming, storming, norming, and performing stages of team development. So as an instructor, it's important to know that students are going through these different stages, why they are within group work. So I'll just go down. So the first one would be forming. And one way on an online format that instructors can make sure that team development, they're forming good habits is use breakout rooms at the end of if they are doing synchronous or, so for those of you who don't know, synchronous is teaching happening, students are there. As opposed to asynchronous, teaching happens and students don't necessarily have to be there. They can listen to it at any time or watch it anytime that they want. If you are using synchronous sessions of class to have those breakout sessions. So at the end, even if it's five, 10 minutes, the students are able to meet with their group and talk about um, what's going on if they are giving an online group and once we get to team development, we want to talk about peer relationships. And within a group, why to have what's known, there's going to be two different conflicts when we think of peer relationships. There's emotional conflicts and there are cognitive conflicts. We kind of want to deal with emotional conflicts early if possible because those could simmer. But cognitive conflicts are those where we're trying to figure things out. So. At the bottom part there, cognitive conflicts, providing the class with weekly readings on conflict in groups would be beneficial. Uh, this would probably help them understand like, hey, this is how we intellectually deal with maybe how we wanna move forward with this project. And lastly, for instructors that are looking to do online collaboration learning based on what Zhang and Ji gave us, we wanna think of the communication media. So how rich is the media? Are we using Zoom? Are we using text? Are we using blogs? How, how rich are we making this to make it appealing to the learners? And the suggestion that we have here is at the end of each synchronous Zoom class, placing groups and breakout rooms would be helpful. It would help be helpful because if the instructor checks in with the group, um, groups that can help with 
That way, the instructor can help immediately with groups that are having issues. So this would be what we call more a rich form of communication media. So when groups are interacting together, it's a little bit more rich because we can see facial expressions. We know what's going on as opposed to maybe if we're emailing between groups, it's not as rich of a media. So we're not able to communicate and see facial expressions, maybe reading between the lines. So within group work, Kevin, the one thing that we want to look at within this course is if the instructors for future courses wanted to add in group work, what are some of the things they need to be worried about? And because currently in this course, there is no group work. Um, so the two main things that we thought of when we were designing our course renovation project is how do we, with R2D2 model, get more of the other reflect, do, and display because we had a lot of reading. And also if we did have online collaboration, what would that look like? Lori, the next question goes to you in terms of generational wars. I'm curious to get your thoughts on modifications to put this, this course to relate uh, to that segment of the population. Thanks for asking, Kevin. Um, so there were two modifications that we, we discussed. Um, and the first modification um, goes back to when Janetta was saying that she couldn't get her learners to be engaged, right? We have these millennial learners. They have a very different style of learning. And a lot of times they love being on their devices, right? Because that's what they do all day. And so another thing with generational learners that are millennials is that they love to play games. That's something that they're just used to. It's a form of habit for them. And so one of the modifications was to take the um, exam material for exam three. So taking the study guide that was provided and actually playing a little game of Jeopardy off of a um, application. So they could go onto their phones and enter in their application identification number and then they would, and I'm going to show it, they would come up to this screen. And this screen actually provides them with tiles. So they have topics that are related to their exam that they know that they're going to have to touch on. And then you'll notice each question from 100 to 500 actually will go from maybe 100 is the easiest to 500 is going to be the hardest. And so what I found is, is when students are actually going through this game, they're really engaged because they're trying to beat out their peers, right? It's their goal of, I've got to be able to beat, you know, this person or this person, right? Because they, they want to make sure that um, they're representing themselves is what they always say. I'm representing myself and I'm representing my family. So um, with this game system, it works really well because students can go on, they're going to play, you know, versus each other. So if we pick head and neck cancer for 100, it would be the most common pathology of head and neck cancer. And then the answer would be where they would have to answer. So it's great in the sense, again, that they get to kind of work with each other um, or work against each other, I should say. Um, but also it gives them an idea of what they know and what they don't know, right? Because they, they don't seem to understand what they know and maybe what they don't know. So when you kind of quiz them in this format, um, not only does it prep them for the exam because then they can now start to think of questions, right? So we're providing them some questions, but it also gives them just this opportunity to reflect on what they know and maybe what they don't know. Another great thing about um, using this Jeopardy game is 
the instructor can actually transfer these um, concepts and these questions into flashcards and provide it to the students. So there's two ways in which to use this. So you can provide them with um, flashcards after the game. So then that way they can go back and quiz themselves or they can work in groups and quiz each other. So um, adding this really provides the students with more of a doing, right, with the R2D model. It's more so can you do this and how are you performing? And so that was one thing that we truly felt like we needed to engage the learner with. Um, and then the second thing that uh, a modification to the course that we thought we could embed was there's a lot of, as Keith and Janetta were talking about, there's a lot of reading materials, right? And so that's part, that's like the first R in R2D2. And so how do we come out of the reading and actually maybe do some displaying? So our visual and auditory learners have something that they can work with. And so again, the second modification was to actually embed some supplemental videos and the videos um, for this actually came out of the prostate cancer um, module. And that module again had a lot of readings. And so there were three videos that I thought were really important and that connected and they had animation. So just like Jenna was talking about, they can't, she can't get them to work with the molds, but she can get them to look at it through this animated video. And so the three videos um, touched on how to learn about um, and how to understand prostate cancer, how to diagnose prostate cancer, and then how to treat prostate cancer. And so by embedding those videos, it kind of gives them a sense of they're there, right? Or they're at least applying what they've learned because they're watching the videos and they're watching the animation take place. Um, and the videos were really short. Believe it or not, all three videos total were 12 minutes. So that's perfect for learners who, um, as we say, sometimes they're on the go or like they have families. And so they have a limited amount of time in which they can actually spend on reviewing materials. So the sense that it's an online video and you can view it and it's animated and it's short actually can get to the point versus maybe having to read a um, hundred pages, right? So it breaks up that monotony of that. Um, and also, um, Nugent actually did an article in 1992 when he said that um, he did some studies and he found that when you combine audio and video to resources, it, it helps them retain the information. And so I think providing it in this aspect actually helps them take what they're learning from their working memory. And it's a visual that they can keep with them that can go to their long-term memory. And so again, um, when you're following the R2D model for this, it was um, displaying and it worked well with visual and auditory learners. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm also curious to ask all three of you about any suggestions that you have for other instructors who may uh, be curious to test out online instruction. I would definitely say for the instructors to have a plan, right? Make sure that it's a really well thought out plan. Um, also make sure you structure your course appropriately. Um, I know when instructors were transitioning over to the online format, a lot of them really didn't use the learning management system, which we have at Wayne State, which is Canvas. And so it took them a minute to try to figure out how to place materials in there. And what I'd like to say is like, make it, if there's weekly tasks or there's like monthly tasks, so I have two different courses, um, I'd like to do the weekly courses and provide them with an agenda, so both written and auditory. I also give them notes for the class, 
provide them with a lecture, but then I also provide supplemental materials to go with it. So everything is outlined and strategized. And if there's an assignment due that week, it's also placed in there and it's highlighted so that they get to see it. So just structuring your course a little bit, but then also incorporating some um, technology and gaming into your um, course. I would like to add for those that are were new to, or if you're new to online as, uh, as I was, um, to be open and flexible and, um, you know, reach out to others that have taught online to, to get ideals because this, this actually this project has really um, helped me. And I think it's not just beneficial for online um, learning, but also um, in person. Um, a lot of this can be carried over to, for both um, types of um, uh, instruction. So um, I think it's, it, um, I was very um, pleased with the, uh, the uh, reconstruction and the ideals that came about to make this course um, better. Keith, I'm uh, curious to end our conversation by asking you the same question I, I just posed to the uh, ladies. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it, Kevin. And within our course, we've been given a great resource. Um, this book called Employing, Empowering Online Learning, 100 Activities for Reading, Reflecting, Displaying, and Doing. And that book is a really good resource that is not too, too expensive, where there are tons of activities where we can get uh, for our individuals that like to read. We can give them um, verbal and auditory learners those resources and activities that are best for them. For those that like to reflect on things, we can help those observational learners be able to do that. For those, again, that like to display, those are our visual learners. How can we engage those ones? And those that, for me, when I was going through school, or still going through school, I was more of the doing learner, and that's a hands-on learner. So I would just, when you're designing your course, if you are an instructor, just put those things into con consideration. Not everyone learns the same, and I think that's kind of the thing that I've learned through my journey of teaching, is that not everyone learns like me. I like to be doing and group work and all that kind of stuff, but there are some people that like, Please, that like they, it gives them anxiety. And I learned that from my teaching that they don't want to be so the millennials. What we do know from this, this course that um, Janetta teaches is that millennials do, they typically do like group work and like to do multitasking. And that, that's a generality, but some people don't. And we have to keep that as instructors in mind when we're designing our class. Do we have tons of reading stuff? So if you're someone that doesn't enjoy reading and this is what the course is, well, they may just drop your course or not do as well. And you can think, oh, they're not trying that hard, but it may not be that they're not trying hard. It's just, that's not how you teach them. So yes, you have to have some reading components, sure, but can you sprinkle in a couple reflecting or displaying and doing activities mm -hmm. to keep the broad majority of people engaged? So that's what I would have to say, Kevin. Well, I want to uh, thank the three of you for joining me to have this uh, in-depth and engaging discussion on uh, course revamping. And uh, for uh, all of you, I want to wish you the best of luck with your continuing studies. And I want to thank you uh, for joining me today. It's most appreciated. We appreciate thank you, you Kev Kevin. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. I'm very kind of you for my twin brother. Very kind. Thank you.